Now, as I get into chapter 16, last time, I don't know if it's last time or two times ago, I did chapter 15 for you. Remember, chapter 4 to the end is the future. Chapter 15 gives the announcements. We're, it's, everyone look up here. It's like we're building. We're building. And now, it's really the end, folks. I know we have 16 through 22 to cover. And it might take us till the end of the year. But, it's really the end. It's heated up. It is really getting to explosion. It's like a volcano ready to explode. That's what chapter 16 is all about. And basically, if I could summarize 16 through 22 and the whole book, let me summarize it like this. God promises, you could write it down, God promises blessings for the righteous. He promises victory and peace for those who favor, serve, live their lives for God. Blessings for the righteous. Victory for the righteous. Peace for the righteous. Judgment. I would say condemnation. Defeat. Punishment for those who reject God. God loves everyone. Don't get the wrong impression. We are, uh, God loves us and wants his best for them. But as God extends his offer, we have a world that rejects him. They have in the past, 2,000 years, and especially in the tribulation period. The tribulation period was in the future, those who reject him. In my neighborhood, I was thinking about this, when I became a believer, and there were people who came into our neighborhood to witness and share their faith. What I mean by share their faith is people moved in, Jewish people, some of you know the name of Finkelstein, Joe Finkelstein. These people moved into our neighborhood, and these people taught us that God loves the world, that he sent Yeshua to die for our sins, and all those who believe and accept, put their trust in the Jewish Messiah, who turned to him and received the gift of atonement. I had a great chance this week. Well, I'm getting sidetracked already. Anyway, great chance this week. I went to a, a, a pretty well-known, famous doctor here in Orange County for some tests that I'm going to have. I'm safe. I'm good. Don't worry. Uh, but when I was talking to him, this Jewish doctor, he said, so what do you do? I love it. I mean, you're, you say, open the door. Larry, tell me about your faith. So what do you do? Well, I'm a messianic rabbi. He goes, oh, messianic rabbi. I said, you know what that means? He goes, yeah, of course. And, and, I, and he says, I think I know because you shared with me before. I said, oh, okay. Anyway, and I shared with him. And he told me he was a practical atheist. I didn't quite understand that. He said, I'm an atheist, but I'm Jewish. I said, oh. He said, so I like some things, but I'm a practical. So I had a chance to share with this doctor. In fact, my wife and Rachel and Ben said to me later, what did he have to say to you? I said, he didn't say too much. I told him my faith, and I had a chance to witness to him the whole time. So in my neighborhood, this is what was going on. The Finkelsteins moved in, and the whole neighborhood, back in the late 60s, early 70s, long hair, beards, mustache, you know, me, caveman, army shirt, jeans, and we're a bunch of wild people. But I remember, and I'm thinking back, a whole conglomerate of people are hearing the gospel. 
And when I think back, I'm thinking of the hundreds of people, maybe thousands that heard the gospel then. And some of them said yes. Some put their trust in Messiah. Some received him. And their lives were drastically changed forever, as mine was, on Okay, good. Those of you who don't know, that was January 15, 1970. My life has changed. But then I think of the others that rejected and said no. Now, some of them have been, had a good life, but they're turned away from God. They rejected God. They might be good people. They might be bad people. But they rejected him, and they will not experience the blessings, the favor, the victory, the joy, the peace. That's what I claim up here. You cannot experience God in his fullness until you accept Messiah. You might get lucky and have, I don't believe in it, but you might have good things and bad things. But there was, it was a division. And I'm thinking in the tribulation period, this is really it. It's really coming to a head because God is sending out his message in many different forms. And many say yes, and will receive the blessings. And many say no, and they will receive judgment and punishment. So that's really the summary of it as we do it. Chapter, chapter 15, and we're not there today. We already looked at this. Chapter 15 at the end, re, it, everyone look up here. Everything's point, and we're right at the end now. We're right maybe at the last couple weeks or months of the tribulation period. Chapter 15, before it takes place, God sends the angels to announce it. Judgment is coming. The final, final judgment. We did see some. The final explosion is coming. Get ready. God's going to judge individuals and nations and everything's going to be happen now. Starting in chapter 16. 15, the angels announce it. Chapter 16, we actually see the beginning of the end. Very last couple months. We've traced much of the tribulation. This is the end. And so, like I said, God is promising blessings to the righteous judgment and punishment. Fill it in in your outlines. God will bless and protect his people while sending judgment on those who reject him. This is the final picture of it. And before I get into chapter 16, which probably will be next week, there's a couple preliminary things I want you to do or listen to that are very important as we prepare for this very end. Take out your pens or pencils. I want you to write some things down or not. That's up to you. But I want you to write a couple things down because we're going to deal with a couple issues we need to deal with just as we go to the end. So the first thing I want us to deal with is that where I'm going to say that the judgment that we see here is not really for believers. It's for, everyone look up here. It's for, the phrase in this book is earth dwellers. It's a Greek phrase. Those who dwell on the earth. It's a technical phrase. There's a lot of technical phrases. And it means those who rejected God. Judgment and punishment specifically is for the tribulation period. God will watch over his people and protect them. But there's a few things I want to deal with in this. And the first thing is the rapture of the, uh, the rap, what did I say here? The rapture before the tribulation. Already you're disagreeing with me? Don't leave. I don't mind disagreements. I don't mind dialogue. Just not while I'm up here now. Okay. The first thing I want us to deal with is the rapture before the tribulation. 
Let me just, if you're having trouble with the words before the tribulation, let me deal with the rapture, okay? First, it's a very, very clear picture to most people, there are some who reject it, that there will be a rapture. What do I mean by the rapture? I'll explain that too. There's a, God is going to rapture, snatch up, take up people from this earth. The rapture. Very, very clear t- a teaching on the rapture. What's not so clear is when. That's where we come into some debate. Before, during, after the, uh, the tribulation period. So the first thing I want to deal with, if I can, is the rapture, the clear teaching on the rapture. Follow along. There's two passages. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. It tells us the great rabbi, great rabbi Saul, you know him as the apostle Paul. That's not his Christian name and Jewish name is Saul. He had two names, and uh, like many Jewish people do, mine's Ariel or Larry. He taught us this writing to the congregation in Thessalonica. For the Lord himself, interesting things, God himself visibly is coming back. The Lord himself will descend from heaven. He's going to come down from heaven sometime in the future. He's coming from heaven with a shout. When God appears, Sinai in different places, there's a shout. There's trumpets. There's voices. When the Lord himself is going to come down from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel. There's going to be a voice from one of the angels, the archangel. Trumpet of God. Listen, I wanted to say this about trumpet of God. Please don't say every trumpet is the same. There's so many uses of trumpets in the scripture, used for so many different things. People get in trouble when you say one thing always means the same. That's not true. So, there's going to be a trumpet blast. There was many trumpet blasts for armies getting together and different announcements. Voice, shout, trumpet of God. Then it says the dead in Messiah. Now, Rabbi Saul is explaining to the Thessalonians, those people, that there's coming a time in the future that the dead, those who died, all people who died, yes or no? Which people? Believers. And he's trying to explain to them. All the dead in the Messiah. Now that is also a technical phrase that the rabbi saw uh, introduced in the scriptures. In the Messiah. Believers. And it, it meant something specifically. All those who died in the Messiah, they will rise first. There might have been confusion in Thessalonica. What happens to my loved ones? Believers. And they're talking to Paul. What happens to my dead ones that died, that are believers? Some of you ask that. And Paul is telling us, Rabbi Saul is telling us, that there's coming a time in the future, he's going to descend, and he's going to raise all our dead loved ones. My mom, my dad, Fran's dad, and all, all believers who've accepted Messiah, they will rise. Now, don't get confused here, because those who died, our families who are believers, they're with Yeshua. Then how can he raise them? Because we consist of a material body and spirit. The moment you die, your spirit, to be absent from the body, is present with the Lord. If all of a sudden I go right now, you are shocked and amazed and sad, and hopefully you'll be sad. Anyway, I, I go. Listen, the moment I go, I'm in the presence of the Lord. To be absent from the body, present with the Lord. My spirit is with him immediately. Immediately. The body is not. The body is buried. And I'm put in the grave, 
And though Jewish people don't like cremation, if you cremate or you just bury, it all becomes the same because it'll just disintegrate. God will raise. At the rapture, God will raise those dead bodies. And they will meet their own spirits. And they will be with the Lord. That is the rapture. And he says the dead in Messiah will rise first. God hasn't forgotten them, he's saying. Then, all of us today in this congregation, uh, maybe not all of us. Uh, That's a joke. Some of you might not. Anyway, all who are alive, believers, and remain, will be caught up. It's a Greek word, harpazo. Caught up. It doesn't mean gradual. It means a snatching away from something. It's used to be shown snatching away, out of something dangerous, taken away from the place, snatched up. A sudden snatch. It's not like when Yeshua was on the Mount of Olives and he went up to heaven. Gradually, as they all looked, and he went up. Don't worry, I'm coming back. When? Not now. Soon, I'll be back. It's not like that. It's a suddenness. That's what the whole concept is. Dead in Messiah will rise. Then we are alive. We'll be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And we will always be with the Lord. That's comfort. That is very, very comforting. We'll always be with the Lord. That's a mention. 1 Corinthians 15. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Same author, Rabbi Saul. I'm going to tell you a mystery. This goes with it. It's a mystery. The word mystery in the scriptures is also a special word brought about by the Apostle Paul. It means something that's been hidden that you can't know that is being revealed now. New. I tell you a mystery. Something you never heard of before. And it says, we will not all sleep. A phrase means dead. But we will be changed, transformed. Just like a butterfly is transformed. I'm sorry, a a caterpillar is transformed. Will be changed. In a moment like that. Suddenly. In the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet. Don't get them confused. That's where you get in trouble. At some last trumpet. In the twinkling of an eye, last trumpet. The trumpet will sound. And the dead in Messiah will be raised imperishable. And we will be changed. These two passages speak of a rapture. Clear. Some people have trouble with the whole concept of the rapture. These speak about it. The question is, when? And so there's good believers that say before the tribulation period. Some say during the tribulation period. Some say at the end of the tribulation period. There's different views of that. And so I want to share for a couple minutes, and I want you to write some of these things down as to when. So I'd, I'd like you to get your pencils and write down. There's a couple reasons I believe that we will go before the tribulation period. First, write this word down. I-M-M-E-N... No, no, no. I'm sorry. I-M-M-E-I-N-E-N-C-E. Imminency. There's something taught in the Scripture called imminency. It's about to happen. It'll happen suddenly. You're not expecting it. At any moment, there is no signs when this going to happen this minute. It could happen any moment. And there's a concept in Bible teaching on what we call imminency. And what is imminency? What, what is about to take place that there are no signs? So I want to give you a couple definitions here. Write them down somewhere. The term tribulation. Write it down. Put it somewhere, anywhere. The word tribulation, look up here, is a seven-year period. One-seven 
One period of seven. Seven years. It's a time of the earth's tribulation. Great horror. It's Revelation chapter 4 through 19. Tribulation is a seven-year period of great distress on the earth that is, we've never seen before. It's divided up into two sections, the tribulation and the great tribulation, first half and the second half. That, when you hear tribulation, without any arguments, tribulation, seven years. That's what the Bible seems to teach, seven years. There's another phrase that I want you to be familiar with. It's called the day of the Lord. People are confused on this term, day of the Lord. Let me tell you, the Bible speaks about it in Isaiah. We don't have to look at all the passage. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the prophets, Hosea, Amos, the day of the Lord, Zephaniah, the day of... What is the day of the Lord? Here it is. The day of the Lord is always viewed as a time of judgment followed by blessing. The day of the Lord, God sending his judgment. It could be a local judgment, but it's always followed by blessing for his people. So it becomes a technical phrase in the Old and New Covenant, in the, uh, in the scriptures, the Jewish scriptures, the Tanakh and Birchadashah. Day of the Lord is a time of darkness and gloom, is what the prophets say. A time to be feared when God is pouring out wrath and judgment. The day of the Lord. But it's followed by a period of blessing. And the real, real definition of what the day of the Lord is, and here it is, is probably the fulfillment of this term, day of the Lord, is seven years of tribulation, God's judgment, followed by 1,000 years of the millennial kingdom. When I say the day of the Lord, we normally think time of punishment. It's punishment, seven years of judgment, and 1,000 years of blessing. That's the day of the Lord when we refer to it. I also want to just mention the term second coming of the Messiah. And this is important that you know. The second coming of the Messiah to be specific and to be clear. This is the second coming of the Messiah. When Yeshua lands his feet at Basra or Petra on the Mount of Olives and it splits, that's the second coming of the Messiah. That will, we know and have signs for the second coming of Messiah. What are those signs? Well, you see seal judgments, you see trumpets, you see bowls, you see two witnesses, you see 144. There are signs. The disciples said, what is the sign of your coming? He says, famines, disease, pestilence, earthquakes, the abomination of desolation, what you see in the, when the anti-Messiah comes in the seven-year period. There are signs for the second coming of the Messiah when he will set foot on the earth. And finally, this phrase that I want to, that people get confused is the return of the Lord. That is where a lot of people get confused. Because I just said second coming of the Messiah. And you said, well, that's the return of the Lord. No, it's not. The return of the Lord is very, very interesting. In the Bible, it says there are no signs for the return of the Lord. It says like a master leaves and he gets his, his followers his, and he says, I'm going to give you one talent, two talents, five talents, ten talents. We're going to give you all talents. And he says, I'm going to leave. And he says, do work with this until I come because you know not what day or hour the Lord is going to return. Listen, the return of the Lord, there are no signs 
And this is very important to get that con. The return of the Lord, there are no signs for when he might come. He says, be waiting, be in watching. You know not what day the Lord may come. Because he says, as in the days of Noah, what was taking place in the day of Noah, it says they were eating and drinking and marrying. They were living their life normal until the flood came. No signs at all. No signs. The sign, he says, of the return of the Lord, no sign. Like the days of Sodom. People in Sodom and Gomorrah, they were living their lives, eating and drinking. They didn't, until all of a sudden, judgment came. There are no signs for the return of the Lord. That's what we call the word that you wrote down, imminency. Imminency is the return of the Lord could be at any moment. Believers are called to be watching Waiting, looking for no signs. Because the Lord could come back at any moment. And the only thing that makes sense there, if we are watching and waiting, is that the rapture, when the Lord returns, he will take us. Because we are also told to look for the blessed appearing and coming of the Lord Yeshua the Messiah. We are not to look for signs, any of us. It's called the imminency, the word imminency of the return of the Lord. Nobody knows when that could be. It must be that he's talking about believers because if you were in the tribulation, you would know about when he's coming. There would be signs. So the term return of the Lord is a term that will happen imminently and suddenly. And that's what I'm thinking is that the tribulation period, actually the return, the rapture of the body, must be imminent. It's a, it's a clear teaching in all of Scripture to be waiting, ready, because you don't know when he might come back. And the only thing that makes any sense, if the tribulation, I'm sorry, if the rapture is at any point in the tribulation period, then you have signs and wonders. Waiting, and you know, you can guess. If all of a sudden I saw the seals of the Bible and I saw the two witnesses and I saw 144,000 and I saw the anti-Messiah in the center of the temple and the temple is rebuilt, I would know Yeshua's coming soon. But that's not what I'm told. Believers are told you don't know when. There is no sign. It could have it imminent, suddenly. It must be that the rapture, when he returns, and I believe the return of the Lord is Yeshua coming back returning for his body of believers to be with him, which begins the day of the Lord, the seven-year tribulation period. That's the return of the Lord. He comes. It takes place over at least seven years. Now, Yeshua's first coming, how long did that take? Anyone? You want to tell me? His return? Nine months? Nice guess. We understand what they're talking about. His first coming to the earth? Nine months? It's a good guess. It's wrong. You're never supposed to say wrong. You're wrong. Now, anyone else? Nine months? 33 years. The return of the Lord took 33 years. The next return takes seven. No signs. Out of nowhere. We're supposed to be getting ready, serving and living for him. All of a sudden he comes in the clouds and I meet him in the air. No signs at all. Could happen. This moment, as I'm saying it with a shout. Yarmulke came off. Okay. (laughs) I didn't go up, but the keeper came off. Anyway, so it's sudden the return of the Lord, imminent. That's one of the reasons, because I don't look for signs. In the tribulation, there are signs. I want you to write something second down here. Now you know why we'll never get through today. Anyway, number two, why I believe in this. Imminency is very, very important. Second is Daniel's 70 weeks. 
Daniel's 70 weeks. Whole concept of Daniel's 70 weeks. What do I mean by that? I want you to look at me, and that's number two, Daniel's 70 weeks. Look at me in Daniel 9, 24 and 20 through 26. Daniel's 70 weeks. Daniel is in captivity in Babylon, and he realizes from studying Jeremiah that the time of the captivity, 70 years in Babylon, is coming to a close. He realizes it. It says it. I'm not looking at Daniel 9, 1. He said, I was studying the books of Jeremiah. Daniel knows it's over. And he says, Lord, are you taking us back? And, and the Lord gives him a vision of the history of the rest of the history of Israel. Israel. And he says this, 70 weeks. Everyone, don't confuse the word weeks. is not necessarily seven days. It's a period of seven. Could be seven months. Could be seven years. We're in a period of seven. So he's saying there's 70 periods of seven Seven, seven, seventy of them. And he says basically to Daniel, Daniel says, are we going back for the kingdom? God says, seventy sevens are decreed for me to deal with my people Israel. Seventy sevens. So, until when? It says, seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city, for Israel and Jerusalem to finish the transgression. Israel will be free of sin. To make an end of all sin. These are all parallel statements. To make an atonement for iniquity, the nation of Israel will be cleansed. Anyone know when that will take place? You're saying when Yeshua died? No. When will it all be? It's based on Yeshua's death. When will the nation of Israel all be cleansed as a nation? When he returns. That's the fulfillment of Yom Kippur. And when he cleanses the nation. To make an end of sin. To make atonement for iniquity. To bring in everlasting righteousness. To seal up the vision and prophecy. To anoint the most holy place. Basically, let me summarize this verse. God's saying, I'm going to deal with Israel for a period of seven, 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 seventy of them. When all that's done, the kingdom, messianic kingdom, Yeshua reigning on the earth, the future kingdom. That's what I'm dealing with my people. Now, then he goes on to say, so you are to know. This really means, let me tell you when you're to start counting those 70 periods. You are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem. Who made that decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem? Well, there's many, been many decrees to rebuild the temple. Cyrus made a decree, other temples. But when was the decree made to restore the city? Well, Daniel writes in about 550 BCE, and the decree was made by a, a king, a pagan king, by the name of Artaxerxes, and it was in Nehemiah 2 when he tells Nehemiah, go back, build up the walls, build up the city, go back. The decree that came there, the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, period, that came in about 444 BCE. We know that. History tells us that. And he tells us, that's when you're going to start counting from 444 B.C. until the Messiah. This is the prophecy of Daniel. You are to know and discern from the decree to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince. When was Yeshua riding into Jerusalem as the Prince, the King of the Jewish people? On the day of Palm Shabbat. Only it was Sunday. Anyway, we call it Palm Shabbat. That's when Yeshua came riding down the Mount of Olives when he came riding through the Garden of Gethsemane, and he came into Jerusalem, and he was hailed, Hosanna, Hosanna. The king of the Jews is here. And they laid the palm trees down, and Yeshua came riding. So the decree, according to Daniel, Daniel's very specific, from the decree from 444 BCE till the Messiah came, he tells us, will be, tells us how long. Everyone, look up here. How many weeks? Pass the coffee out, will you? 
How many weeks? All right. Seven and 62. Anyone? Get out a calculator. Figure it out. Anyway. Seven and 62. 69 periods. Seven, seven, 69. That's key because of the 70. 69 periods. Until the Messiah came, there will be seven and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in trouble sometimes. So Daniel is separating seven, 62, and Okay, remember there were 70. There was 7, 62, and... Good, okay. Seven weeks, first seven, was just 49 years, would be, Jerusalem would be rebuilt. Then another 62 sevens would come, and Messiah would be presented before that last one. And it says... Um, Verse 26, then after the 62, please look up here, this is where people get confused. Seven, then the 62, then after the 62. Some people say, you mean during the 70th? It doesn't say during the 70th. It doesn't say in the middle of the 70th. Well, what's the mean of the seven? We didn't get to that yet. But after the 7 and 62, after that, after he's presented, what will take place? It says... He will be cut off and have nothing. He will be killed. Messiah will be presented. Then after that 62 weeks, he will die. That's what Daniel's telling us. He will uh, have nothing. And the people, Rome, of the prince that is to come, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Daniel is telling us that God is going to deal with our Jewish people. He says very clearly, your people and your city, the Jewish people, not the body of Messiah. Are you confused? Good, okay, that's what I'm trying to do today. There's a difference between the nation of Israel and what God has promised for the nation of Israel and the body of Messiah. You, when you, I say the body of Messiah, the Greek word is ekklesia, or some people know it as the church, the congregation. The world's one bubble over here, Jew and Gentile. There's another bubble over here. These are all believers. This is the body of Messiah. When did this begin? It began 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost when God started it on the, on the Jewish holiday of Shavuot, Pentecost. He started the body of Messiah. Israel wasn't started then. Israel was started 2,000 years before with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the 12 tribes. The body of Messiah is different than Israel. God has two separate plans and purposes. Israel was primarily Israel and Gentiles who wanted to convert and be part of it. The body of Messiah is Jews and Gentiles in the body. They are distinct and different. God has a plan for Israel. God has a plan for the body of Messiah. God promised Israel a certain kingdom. There are differences. So God says here that for 77s, I'm going to deal with who? Everyone? The Jewish people. Seven. He dealt with them, it says, for seven, and then 62, 69 weeks. But what about that other week? Well, it's been postponed. That week didn't continue. Because do you remember what happens after the 70th week I told you a few minutes ago? What happens after the 70th week, everyone? Everlasting righteousness, millennial kingdom. The 70th week, if it was here, it came, it didn't come. It was postponed. Listen and look up here. After the 62 weeks, Messiah would be cut off and killed and have nothing. Then God's program for Israel 
was placed, in a sense, on a major hold until the last 70th week. The 70 weeks are decreed for your people. And so what happened after the 62 weeks, God began a new program with what we call the body of Messiah. And that's been going on for 2,000 years. Their two programs are distinct and different and not mixed. Then, after the body of Messiah will be removed, God will deal with our people for the 70th week. That is a specific week, that tribulation period, designed for Israel to bring forth a remnant to save a group of our people. It's going to be mainly Jewish, 144,000 witnesses, two special witnesses, multitudes and multitudes of Jewish people and Gentiles will be saved but it's primarily distinct it's for the Jewish nation uh, that, that seven years my consideration of Daniel 9 is this I believe in a pre-tribulational rapture because we're looking for no signs imminency I'm not looking for the second return the second coming of the Messiah I'm looking for imminency second the Daniel tells us God's dealing with our people for 70 weeks that last week will be in the future. It's not for the body of Messiah. He will rapture us. But third, I want you to uh, write this one down as well. Third, the book of Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. I gave you two reasons. First, imminency. Second, Daniel. Everyone look up here. I can't express how important Daniel is. Daniel had made very clear, I'm going to deal with my people the holy city, and my people for 70 weeks, not the body of Messiah. Well, what about the body of Messiah? That's another story. Now, third thing, Thessalonians, right number three, third reason. This is, I want you to read and follow along. The Thessalonians were considering what's happening, when is the return of the Lord? And he's answering that question. Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It starts at verse 3, but I'm going to read you 1 and 2. Okay, I realize it, afterwards it made sense. Listen carefully to verse 1 and 2. The rabbi Saul says this. No, he says, now, as to the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need of anything to, uh, to be written to you. For you yourselves, Paul's writing to believers, you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord. Does anyone know when the day of the Lord is? No? The day of the Lord, anybody? Day of the Lord, period of tribulation and blessings following. The day of the Lord. There's no sign for it, he says. For you, he says, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. That's what he always tells us. The Messiah is going to return like a thief in the night. No signs to the return of the Lord. He will be like a thief in the night. You don't know when the thief is coming. You don't know when the day of the Lord begins. You don't know when the tribulation begins. There's no way of knowing because there's no signs because they'll happen imminent, just like that. You yourselves know. How did they know? He taught them that it's going to come suddenly. Don't look for signs. The day of the Lord, everyone could start today in the next couple minutes. day of the Lord could start. Suddenly, you're not expecting it. Or it could start tomorrow. And he says, you yourselves know the, about the day of the Lord I taught you. It could come like a thief in the night. And it says, like, like a thief in the night. And then verse 3, while they are saying, this is very important when you understand. If I'm talking to you believers 
And I say, you know, they, those others out there, who do I mean? Everyone? I mean non-believers. And that's what this rabbi is saying. The day of the Lord could come suddenly. That's the time of judgment. That's the tribulation period. That could be the rapture of the body of believers. It's going to come suddenly. And when they, the world out there, is saying, peace and safety and beauty and nice, that's not the tribulation period. Because things are not going peace and safe then. He said, when the world is saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them. That's the return of the Lord. That's the tribulation period. Then, when they're saying peace and safety, suddenly it'll come upon them like labor pains upon a woman with child. And everyone look up here. When they are saying peace and safety, the destruction of the Lord is coming, the, day of the, the return of the Lord is coming, the day of the Lord is coming, and they will not escape. What about us? And everyone? The implication, you will escape. Not because you're good. We've had tribulation for 2,000 years. The Lord says you'll have many tribulations. You will suffer persecution. You'll be attacked. You'll have all kinds of suffering from Satan and from yourself and the world and the flesh, the devil. But when they are saying peace and say destruction will come upon them, it says here, suddenly, where was I? Oh, and uh, like labor pains upon them, and they will not escape. They won't escape. Verse 4, but you will escape. I think it's one of the major passages on uh, the tribulation, the rapture being first. You will uh, not escape, the, but you, brethren, are not in darkness, time of trouble, time of uh, the day of the Lord, that the day of the Lord will overtake, won't overtake you. For God himself has not appointed you or destined you for what? Everyone say it. The wrath is the day of the Lord. The wrath is the tribulation. But you have not, it won't overtake you the day of the Lord. Because for uh, you will obtain salvation through our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. The second, third reason, I said, first eminency, second Daniel chapter 9. All these passages seem to say believers are not appointed for the wrath. Everyone, the wrath is the tribulation. It's the day of the Lord, the beginning of the day of the Lord. It will come suddenly, no signs. And it says, First um, Thessalonians, they won't escape, but you will. Third, fourth reason, write down. Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. Revelation 3, 10. It's a promise to the congregation in Philadelphia. It's a promise to all believing congregations. It's extended, the blessing. He speaks to the congregation in Philadelphia, but he's giving a promise to not only the congregation in Philadelphia, but to all believers throughout all ages. And this is what he says in verse uh, 3. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance. Let me summarize that phrase. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance. Because you have accepted Yeshua and put your trust in him and are believers. That's what that means. Because you are believers. And through Messiah you will persevere. I will also keep you from. Everyone look up here. The word keep you from means to remove someone from the presence of the evil. To take them out of the, the fray, the mixture. It's the opposite of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God keeping him through. 
There's five Greek words that can mean through. But he uses a different word here. He says, I will keep you from the furnace from that time. By removing you out of it, taking you away from it. That's what he's saying. And he says, I will keep you from, keep you from the hour. Now that's a phrase in the Bible. The hour is the hour of tribulation. It's a technical phrase again. The special, it's not one hour. It's the hour that's coming on the whole earth. The hour of testing, a time of testing those who dwell on the earth. God says, believers, if you match it up with Thessalonians and Eminency and Daniel, I'm going to take you believers, it's a promise of comfort, and remove you away from the darkness, away from the time. Okay, away from that time. And then it says, I will take you from the hour of testing. That's testing the earth dwellers. That hour which is about to come upon the whole world. This is not just a local thing. This hour of testing, this time of tribulation, this time of the day of the Lord. It's a seven-year period that's going to test the world. Earth dwellers, those who've rejected God. And it says, to test those who dwell on the earth. God is going to remove them out of it. It's an interesting phrase, and I just want to add this to it. God says to the believers here, I am going to keep you from, take you out from the evil, the presence, the day of the Lord, the tribulation. I will take you out, and I will protect you from that. Now, I'm going to try to say this in the right way, see if you can get it. God says, I'm going to take you out. You won't be harmed by it. But if you look in Daniel, and you look in Revelation, and you look at many other passages, believers in the rest of Revelation are not taken out of it. They suffer. They die. They're, they're tempted, and they're suffering, and they're being martyred, and they're killed. But God says in 310, I'm going to remove you from it. You're not going to die. You're not going to be. What is God referring to? Two groups of people. The believers before the tribulation, I'm taking you out. The others in the tribulation who remain, who become believers, they will suffer. God will remove us. The last reason I believe in a pre-tribulational rapture, one, imminency, two, Daniel chapter 9, three, 1 Thessalonians 5, four, Revelation 3, and the last, the last thing, I'm not quite sure how to put it, write this, ecclesia. All right, you can't write that. All right, you can. Go figure it out how to spell it. E-K-K-L-E-S-E-I-A. Ecclesia. Which really is a Greek word. It means body. You know what it really means? Right bubble. It means right bubble, folks. That's what it means. Body of believers. The kahila, the body of believers that began at Pentecost that will end at the rapture when he takes us. Listen carefully to this. Very important concept. The word body or the word church, I say it on purpose, or the congregation in the book of Revelation, chapter 1 to 3, which is going on today, that word is mentioned 19 times. The body of Messiah, us believers today, us, the body, which is going on for the last 2,000 years. Do you know in chapter 4 and the future of the whole book, in the tribulation. Do you know how many times that word is mentioned, folks? Not once. Zero. Isn't that strange? 
John would write it 19 times. But in the future tribulation, the body of Messiah is not mentioned at all. Why? Tell me why. We're gone. It's, we're gone. We're out of here. There's a phrase John uses seven times in chapters 2 and 3. He says, let him who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the congregations. He says it seven times in chapter 2 and 3. In chapter 14, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says, period. Not to the congregations. We're gone. So, I think there's strong, strong evidence teaching us that the rapture of the believers, there's no signs. We look for it. Remember when they said to Yeshua, what are the signs of your coming? He gave them the signs of his return. Anyone in the tribulation, anyone in the tribulation knows approximately when Yeshua is returning because they have the signs. The, the, the disease, uh, the wars and famines of wars, the abomination of desolation, the seals, the trumpets, the, they have signs. But we as believers are never told to look for that. There are no signs. You know, rather what it's saying is you and I, everyone, come on, put your hands up. Get ready. Are you prepared? He's coming today. You're going to be ashamed? Are you served him or not? You're going either way, folks. Whether you believe it or not, whether you've done good or bad, you're going. So be prepared and watching. Because you know not what hour your Lord may come. That's the, that means the rapture. That means the return of the Lord. It comes imminent, sudden. Everything else are clear signs. The tribulation period, I, some of you know there's a big debate. When? Is it before the tribulation? I say yes. Others say it's the middle of the tribulation. I say no. If you're in the tribulation, you know the signs of when he's coming back. You don't know. Is it coming toward three quarters of the tribulation? That's another view, by the way. Just to let you know the four views, there's one before the tribulation called pre-tribulation rapture. I believe in that. Second, midpoint. You're going in the middle. I think it clearly breaks the whole concept of what God is dealing with Israel and the body of Messiah. Of what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5. What it says in Revelation 3. What the idea of imminency. What the idea of the body. Some say in the middle. Makes no sense. And some say three quarters. Actually, yeah. You know, where there's man, there's many views. When there's two Jewish people, you get two opinions, right? See? See? I proved my point. So, so it's before or the middle or three quarters or some even say at the end. I, I, I get a kick out of the end because the people say the rapture, it comes at the end of the seven years. I like to think that you come, he comes down, you're raptured, he makes a U-turn and takes you back up or he takes you back down to earth. Makes no sense. The only thing that makes sense about the tribulation period for me, and I think it's important, because he says, comfort one another. Encourage one another with these words. This time, we suffer. He always tells us, in the world, you will have tribulation, not the tribulation. Take courage, I will overcome the world. Strong point for me, and I wanted to get that clear, even if you differ with me. Let's move on if we can. What I'd like you to see is what starts the tribulation period. Now, if you are sharp and you've already heard me, listen carefully. What starts the tribulation period can be the return of the Lord and the rapture. It could be. The rapture starts that. But we do know exactly when it begins. Follow along with me. First, uh, uh, Daniel chapter 9. 
We just read chapter 9, 24, and uh, 25, and 26. 70 weeks, I'd like to repeat it. 70 weeks have been decreed for your people. 70 periods of seven. For your people, Israel. Jewish people, nation. Not the body of Messiah. 70 weeks have been decreed for Jerusalem. God, Daniel's being specific. He's not including the right bubble, the body of believers. God is dealing with Israel for 70 periods. And it says, to finish the transaction, make an end of sin, atonement, iniquity, everlasting righteousness, seal of vision, prophecy, the most, to bring in the kingdom for the Jewish people. 70 weeks are decreed, and then Israel will have the peace they've longed for. And then it says, so here's when you start counting. No one discern from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Artaxerxes, 444 BCE, made that decree. Until the Messiah comes riding into Jerusalem, presented as the King of Israel on Palm Sunday, as we say, or Palm Shabbat, as Messianic congregations say. He came. Then after then it says, verse 26, after the 62 period, 7, 62, makes 69, then the Messiah, after that period, will be cut off and killed. Then the Roman army will come in and destroy the city and the sanctuary. Then it's strange, verse 27. And he, go back one verse. Look at the last verse there. The people of the prince. Now go to the next verse. Verse 27. Next verse. And he, that's the prince who is yet to come. Does anyone know who that prince is? Good, very good. The anti-Messiah, the beast, he will make a covenant with the Jewish people. He will write and firm up a covenant with the Jewish people. For how long, folks? The missing week. There it is. In the future, nobody signed a covenant with Israel for peace yet. He's coming, and in that final week, so we saw the 7 and 62, and then the time gap. I didn't make that time gap up, folks. It's all over the Bible. You see the first and second coming of the Messiah with many spaces in between. That's a very common thing to do in the Scripture. There's a time gap. And in the future, there's coming that final, final week, which is the beginning of the day of the Lord, which is the tribulation period. It will come suddenly like a thief in the night, like no one, Sodom, no signs at all. And it says, he, in the middle of that week, seven years, middle of the week, he puts his image in the temple, in the abomination of death. He signs, well, he will firm up a covenant with the many for one week. He will make the covenant. That's the beginning of the tribulation. Now, someone here could say, was well, that when the rapture takes place? It could be close. The rapture and the signing of the covenant. We know the signing of the covenant is the beginning of the day of the Lord. We know it's the beginning of the tribulation period. But in that seventh period, in the middle, that prince, that anti-Messiah, that beast, changes everything, attacks the Jewish people, puts his image in the temple, and says, worship me. He breaks the covenant. When does the tribulation period begin, everyone? Signing of the covenant by the anti-Messiah. That's the beginning of the day of the Lord, period of tribulation, period. So, that's when I believe it. Follow along, fill in your outlines. Don't worry, I'm going to stop pretty soon. I knew we wouldn't get too far. The first half of the tribulation, because I want to try to prepare you for next week, Revelation 16, that final last couple weeks. I'm giving you a background. The first half of the tribulation was the sealed judgments. That begins, remember the future begins in chapter 4. Chapter 4 is a vision of God in heaven. 
in the future. Chapter 5 is the vision of Messiah in heaven. Chapter 6 begins the tribulation. First half. There are six or seven seal judgments. He breaks, Yeshua breaks each one. And you could write it or not. Verse six, chapter 6 verse 1. Then I saw the lamb broke one of the seven seals. It's the first judgments. And I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice, uh, with a voice of thunder, come. Six seals. Everyone, you don't have to write them down or you can. First seal was cold war. Second seal was war. Third was famine. Fourth was disease. Uh, it was death. About a quarter of the earth's population will die in the first uh, half of the tribulation. Then there's martyrdom. Then there's disturbances on the earth. And finally, this, this is very interesting, the seventh seal. You break the seal, and all of a sudden a trumpet starts to blast. The seventh seal introduces the seven trumpets. The first six seals are first half of the tribulation. The trumpets are the second half. Follow along with me. In this time period, there's the seal judgments. Second during the first half of the tribulation will be the 144,000. Who are they? I told you it's not British Israelism. It's not the Jehovah's Witnesses. It's not any other false group. It's not the body of believers. Who are the 144,000 witnesses? Let me tell you. There are 12,000 from Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Asher, Zebulon, Dan, Gad, Naphtali, Issachar, Benjamin, and Joseph. And if you want to learn how to do that, I can teach you. And you will always know it's not as hard as you think, but I'm not going to, I've done it too many times. Anyway, 12,000 from every tribe. 12,000 from every tribe. And it says in chapter 7, And after this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the winds of the earth, so that no wind would blow on the earth or on the sea or on the tree. It's saying, Don't harm the earth, the sea, the trees, until we have sealed the bondservants on their forehead. And I heard the number of those, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of Israel. In the first half of the tribulation, 144,000 from every tribe. Who are they? The best way we all describe it is 144,000 Billy Grahams, but they're Jewish. Okay? Like them or not, find someone else. Billy Graham had the gift of evangelism. 144,000. These are sealed by God, and they're sharing their faith and witnessing. And it tells you multitudes in that time period, in the tribulation, multitudes of Gentiles, Jews, and of every nation will accept Yeshua in the tribulation period. When all the seals are coming and people are dying, a fourth of mankind, the 144,000 will be sharing their faith. And they will be sharing their faith and they will be winning many souls at that time. That takes us to the midpoint. Write it down. I'm trying to get to one point, but I probably won't. Middle of the tribulation. I told you what takes place. Everyone look up here. In the first half, 144,000 witnesses. The seal judgments going on. Let me tell you what else I think is going on in the 144,000. This is a guess. This is Larry. I believe there's a war in heaven for the first three and a half years. For some reason, we think when the angels have a war, it's over in one second. It's not. It seems like the angels and the demons battle. And they might be battling for three and a half years. But at the middle of that point, and this is the midpoint, chapters 12, verse 7. 
There was war in heaven. The angels are waging war on God's plan. Michael and his angel. Michael, everyone. Everyone, that's Israel's hero. Michael is the, the protector and watcher over of Israel. Michael is waging war in heaven with his troops. Michael and his angels are waging war with the dragon, the devil, Satan of old. There's a battle going on in the tribulation in heaven in that time. And the dragon and his angels are waging war. And they were not strong enough. They, they were not strong enough, the devil. And there was no longer a place for them in heaven. Battle went on for three and a half years. And the three and a half years, the devil's defeated. And he's kicked out of heaven. Verse 9, which you don't have, listen. It says, and the great dragon was thrown down. The serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So I think in the, for three and a half years there's a battle. Middle of it, Michael and his angels take tr- control and condemn and send Satan, not to hell, but down to earth. But in the middle point, three and a half years, what happens on earth? Forgive me, all H breaks loose. I'm not allowed to say the word hell in my family. So all H breaks loose on earth because he knows his time is short. It's over. And in the middle of the tribulation, then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of God, the authority of the Messiah have come. For the accuser of our brethren, Satan, has been thrown down who accuses them before our God day and night. For this reason, rejoice in heaven, everyone, O heavens, and dwell in them, uh, and those who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he only has a short time left. He's been condemned to earth, and he wages war now against Israel and the Messianic Jews. That's what it clearly tells us. In the last three and a half years, he wages his war. And let me try to conclude with this, and we'll pick it up next time here. The second half of the tribulation, everyone write it in here, the great tribulation is what it's called. And there we're going to deal with the unholy trinity, or the unholy nature of the three triune who, who imitate God.